Welcome to episode 69 of The Roger Snipe Show. Thank you for tuning in to The Roger Snipe Show. The aim of each episode is to leave you feeling more informed than when you started. You can expect a vast array of subjects from functional medicine to economic developments. Each week, I'll be interviewing experts in different fields to bring you an awesome show. The Rod 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 Roger Snipes Show. Yo, what's going on, peeps? Thanks again for tuning in again. So today is going to be uh, almost like a conversation. Um, I've had Angela Foster, who is the guest, um, on my show before, um, but we decided, hey. Let's have a conversation again. Actually, before I continue, let me just firstly pre-warn you, there's a little maintenance going on in my house, so you might hear a little bit of background noise <laughs> or the um, washing machine. <laughs> the washing machine is on and I've switched off the tumble dryer because I can put it on pause, but I don't think you can pause a washing machine, so... Yeah, little bit of background noise there. Pre-warning. Um, but yeah, today's conversation is pretty much just um, uh, almost like a biohacker's chinwag. <laughs> you know, just talking about loads of things which uh, both me and Angela incorporate in our daily life to be as empowered um, as phenomenal as we can feel, um, yeah, just all the practices, all the all the measures, and yeah, we brought quite a lot of things in discussion that you can incorporate yourself, so yeah, it's pretty cool stuff, and I've given a, an, an introduction to Angela before, she's a functional nutrition practitioner, and an executive health and performance coach, so she works with some very high-end people um, basically helping them to perform better in their life not just through finances but like helps them to feel you know more robust as a human but she hasn't always been the biohacker that she is right now she was formerly in law in a large <clears throat> excuse me a large corporate firm and in-house legal counsel for a global investment bank. And she's no stranger to long working hours, the pressure of time and critical deadlines and demands of working across multiple time zones. But in 2012, after having three children in just four years, Angela found demands of the successful career that left her little time with her young family and in effect basically suffered multiple episodes of post-mortem depression uh, before being diagnosed with major depressive disorder. A whole string of stuff. But she brought herself uh, back to recovery and um, many times she has discussed her journey just like on a previous podcast. But today we're just going to discuss some amazing things in which you can just incorporate in your life. Anyhow, let's bring on Angela Foster. 
are you doing? How are you doing, Angela? I'm doing really well, Roger. How are you? I've had a nice kind of rest over, over Christmas with the family. It was very quiet, obviously, as it is for many people being in tier four. But we spent some family time together and I think we were just grateful that we could spend it together, right? There's a lot of people who were on their own. What about yourself? You know what? That's a valid point because um, leading up to Christmas, I'd spoken to my mum and I was saying to her, can't wait to have you over because she's never at my house. We talk over the phone. And, you know, I think about maybe a, a week before Christmas, obviously this whole tier four kicked in. And I was like, really? Like, really? But my mum's okay about it, but I wasn't very, I wasn't too keen about it. However, Christmas was cool. It mm. was just another, another year, really. I think for me, if I'm gonna celebrate Christmas, I try to keep it to the traditional sense of what is Christmas about? A lot of people say it's about giving and receiving and family time. Well, kind of, but I think it's actually about Jesus's birthday. So for me, I'm like, if I'm going to celebrate Christmas, let's keep it real. So I went to the church. I don't normally go to the church, but I thought if I'm going to celebrate it, let's go to the church. Went that and done a few, you know, Christmassy things. Um, read a few passages from the Bible, done a few prayers and that sort of thing. So it was cool. <laughs> That's nice. That's so nice, isn't it? We normally, we, I'm the same as you. We don't go to church that regularly, but we do always go at Christmas. And I think, because as you say, it is about Jesus's birthday. And I really like the children to understand that in particular, that it isn't just about Santa Claus and presents. And, <laughs> and <laughs> or isn't at all. <laughs> but... Exactly. And so really understanding why Christmas is there, I think is, is important. So we, we've done some of that as well. And just spending that quality time as a family, I think is so important. We had a weird one actually, because we had a scenario where we'd barely seen my parents all year because they both have underlying health conditions. So they were vulnerable. So we'd kind of seen them out in the garden in summertime, um, but really kept our distance to protect them from COVID. And then we had this crazy situation where my dad in October, he's on full-time dialysis, basically got an infection and was taken into hospital. And then while he was there, he contracted COVID within five days of arriving because it's so prevalent in the hospital. So at first we were just so nervous, you know, what's going to happen here? We, we've been trying to protect him all this time. And he was mostly asymptomatic. I mean, he, he had symptoms and he was given steroid treatment, but fortunately came through. And then he was discharged COVID positive six weeks later, because apparently in the elderly, they can stay positive for a long time. And then he um, came home to my mum, who was also vulnerable mm. and um, COVID positive. So they had this crazy scenario where they were having to self-isolate from each other within the same house. And instead of us not seeing them at Christmas, this is pre-tier four, instead of us not saying, well, we can't see them because we want to protect them. This was a crazy situation where they had COVID in the house and they didn't want to give it to our kids, um, which is ironic, really. Um, so, but thankfully he's now COVID negative. Um, and so far my mum seems so good. But mm. yeah, it's just crazy turn of events. And I think so many people this year have had really, really challenging years. I know we were chatting just before the show about, you know, how we can kind of control our mindset and things because it has been a year of 
rapid change, hasn't it? And also mm. surprises, right? I mean, I was shopping for Christmas presents in a little kind of comic shop. My kids love those bobbleheads. I don't know if you've seen those from the Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, my, my 11-year-old is collecting them. And there I was okay. in this tiny little shop, you know, we're all masked up getting Christmas presents. And then the government makes the announcement that today, that's it. On that same day, they're just going to close everything. And I really felt for, you know, these small retailers because we just, in we've never lived in that environment before, have we? Where, a, you know, a freedom can be taken away from you in an instant. I know, I know. And it, it makes you truly appreciate that. Yeah, you, you're so freely doing everything as normal without thinking that at some point that freedom can be taken away. You'd think about it being a, a thing of like past, past, you know, when, when we're talking about things like, uh, um, oh gosh, oh, I can't even think now, but um, you know, activists trying to get rights and stuff like that. Mm. You, you do have different type of activists speaking now and it's, it's a real bizarre situation. Like you find yourself getting caught up in trying to dissect what is going on. Mm. <laughs> And it's like a whole nother pandemic altogether. Like when you start deep diving in areas where you just thought, oh, what's this? Oh, you know, maybe an image was floating around, a meme or a video. And you, I don't know, you, you start to question a lot of things and you think, all right, um, I don't know how I feel about this. But <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an entire different subject. But I think what we have at the moment is there's so many people that are, stressed you know people are staying home people are stressed um you know whether it's like lack of movement exercise or just uh spending too much time watching the news or it's uh, i get a lot of questions from people on on social media asking me how how i deal with stress but the thing is i don't really stress at all i have moments where i might i don't know feel a bit a bit agitated but i feel as though i've been practicing just like self-healing and recognition like always taking self-inventory to make sure that i'm in a good state of mind i've been doing it for so long that i don't it's almost like i don't know how would i deal with stress you know because it doesn't really how, hit me that way. how does that look for you then in terms of like when you say taking self-inventory how does that work out for you like are there practices that you do in the morning or do you set aside a certain time or do you just take stock of how you're feeling like what does that look like yeah 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 i mean i, I have you know the, certain practices in the morning religiously with um breathing exercises relaxation even doing visualization i've got like a a gratitude list i think we might have spoken about that before but these sort of things are pretty standard for me there are moments where I feel as though like my screen time might be a bit much. I could be on the laptop and I'm working, working, working. And then all of a sudden I feel like my head just doesn't feel quite right. It feels a bit cloudy or I might feel a, a slight headache and I'm like, Oh wow. I've been on the laptop for hours. That's it. I'm up. I need to move away. That to me is self inventory. If I'm not feeling, if equilibrium is broken somewhere, that to me is self-inventory. And I'm like, all right, what have I been doing that has caused me to feel in this state? You know, sometimes I might have eaten something and I'm like, mm, I know what's gone on there. I've eaten something 
which is uh, might have some mycotoxins in there or um, I've eaten like way too much carbohydrates, you know, high glycemic or something like that. That tends to happen with me. Like if I eat biscuits, crisps, crisps, chocolate, um, pizza, anything kind of man-made. Mm. Um, it's dead energy isn't it but it's also it's worse than that i find those foods because they're not and obviously we all have them right and i'm not in any way trying to be perfect but mm. they're not just kind of like not alive they actually i find deplete your body to process them so it's kind of it's worse than them not being i think people often think that if they have a bowl of chips or something they know that there's no nutritional quantity to it but i think what they underestimate is then actually what it's taking from your body i was reading an article that talked about when you eat chips that have been, you know, deep fried in vegetable oil, that your inflammation in the body will rise for 24 hours afterwards. And yeah. I think that, you know, you get brain fog, you feel certain muscle ache, you don't feel good. That's the thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and you have to start, yeah, you have to take more uh, vitamins to try and bring you back up to just a normal state. You know, for me, it's so difficult now where if I eat certain uh, kryptonite foods um i take a few days to recover mm. i remember when i was younger uh, when i was like uh, 18 years old and i used to go clubbing i would i would go out clubbing and arrive home at maybe five in the morning and i remember i was working at mcdonald's then and um i would take pro plus and then i would go to work at nine o'clock in the morning and i'd be fine I would be fine. I'd, I'd start flagging after a few hours and I'll take a bit more pro plus and eat a bit of food. And I was all right. I could cruise. I'll be all right. And I'll be like, I just need some good sleep tonight. And there was a few weekends where I'd go out back to back. Whereas now I don't even think about going out. That is, that is out of the question. If someone says, Hey, do you want to go out? I'm like, no, I am not mm. interested. When people talk about drinking, I am not, I stopped drinking anyway. I, I have no interest in that. Um, have you did you stop drinking entirely because I find going out I totally agree with you and for me there's there's a very very minimal amount of alcohol that I think I can have without it affecting me um, I wouldn't say I'm teetotal probably because we have my husband and I have always passionately kind of collected wine stored it bought it on from a visited vineyards there's a whole romantic thing <laughs> associated with it but i'm definitely very much like i know that if i have more than two drinks i'm going to be affected which sounds crazy because it's like well i think you just have to enjoy wine to do it for that purpose because you're never going to get any effects from the alcohol in terms of you know when people go out they're looking for an effect aren't they they're looking to get <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which you're not going to get from that minimal amount However, anything more than that, I'm the same as you. I just think it moves me off set point. So, mm -hmm. it's, uh, and then I notice it the next day. I, I've just decided I'm not going to drink at all because it doesn't really affect me that, that, that much. And mm. I remember doing a, a genetics test, which said that you're actually okay with alcohol. You're a great metabolizer for alcohol. And it said, but caffeine, you're not. I was like, no, I want it the other way around. The other way. <laughs> Give me as much coffee as I can handle. <laughs> um, yeah, because I was like, um, yeah, alcohol, I don't really care. And th that's the thing. And I think that was the issue. Because I could drink alcohol, it never really affected me. I could drink more and more and more. And I just didn't want to drink so much alcohol. And I just, I just thought, because I wasn't drinking it so often, 
when I go out with mates, I say, well, okay, this is a moment where I could drink it. And then I'll just, just get wasted. Drinking, 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 not feeling it. And all of a sudden, just, it will hit me. And when I start thinking about how much I've consumed, I'm like, why did I do that? You know, just to keep up with people. And I just thought, you know what? No, if I write it off completely, if somebody says, oh, do you want to drink? And I tell them I don't drink. There's no, there's no thing of like, oh, I'm not drinking today. Because the moment you say that, that's a window. Yeah, that's true. You know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, you do drink. Well, in that case, you can have a little. I'll have some yeah. more. But the yeah, moment you say you don't true. drink, there's no challenge. There's no challenge at all. No, that's true. As soon as you remove the decision completely, then actually it's way, way simpler, isn't it? It's like whenever I, I go through periods where I'm like, right, I'm not going to drink for two months or something at all, just because I, I want to you know, have a break from any alcohol. And it's just so simple because it's not like, will I have a glass of wine or won't I? There's actually no decision to be made. It's like, well, no, because I'm not drinking. So um, yeah, I completely agree with that. It's a bit like when you look at your genetics and your chronotype, I think the hardest thing for me is being, and I'm very much, I've done questionnaires to kind of confirm it as well. I'm very much an early morning person. And so going out is just... <laughs> We sound like really boring people here, don't we? <laughs> but going out for me is, you know, I'm that person when people come over for a dinner party, I'm like, do you need me to book you a cab? Because I want them to go. And like, I can't do the two, three AMs. Do you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm very much like 10 o'clock is kind of my limit. And because I wake up early and I think it's really, really difficult. I think if you're kind of a mixed chronotype, you know, not Dr. Bruce talks about this. America's sleep doctor, the, the kind of bears that are the 50% of the population. And they're your classic mm. kind of 11 to seven people. I think it's much easier because if you want to stay up late, you can do it. If you've got an early morning flight to catch, you can do it. You can kind of sort of go both ways. Whereas if you're either a night owl or an early morning, I think it's really difficult to shift. And I certainly find that. So I'd rather see friends for lunch and uh, have them all go home by seven o'clock than... <laughs> <laughs> than party but I, I was always that person at a party you know even with the loud music I'd be asleep on the sofa regardless of what was going on around me so <laughs> no one's ever going to invite me out now are they just announced it <laughs> you heard it on the Roger Sight show <laughs> what's what's your thoughts on uh, on nootropics I don't, I don't know we, I don't know if we spoke about nootropics before but um there's so many different kinds out there and I've always tried to figure out what are the best ones and I I, I was um, I was speaking to, I've got his name now, Bioptimizers dude. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Wade. Wade, yeah. Yes. He was telling me about the new nootropic stack which they have there, and I don't know whether um, you've seen some of the posts by by Wade or by uh, Bioptimizers, but it looks incredible. You know, yes. it's 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 a um, it's it's a uh, um, like personalized stack for individuals. I'm like, oh, really? That that sounds to me like what I need, you know, because yeah. I've tried so many different types and they don't. Do you know the biggest thing? I don't know if you found this. And uh, I interviewed Wade actually not long ago, and I I love their products. I just think they're awesome. Mm. Um, but I found with nootropics is the attenuation is just too quick with most of them. So like I'll take something and I'll be like, right, great. This is amazing. Now I've got focus work. Um, and then you take it for four or five days and then it's like, what is it? even like two weeks maybe. And then it's like, this isn't really working for me anymore. Mm. Whereas I think that 
I haven't tried their nootropics that they've recently launched. I have tried their Capex, which I don't know if you ever take that, but that mm. surprisingly gives you really clean burning energy and helps upregulate fat burning. But it also has specific things that move energy into mitochondria. And I find that actually like in a fasted state when I'm working with black coffee, it's just kind of magic in terms of focus. The thing I've got on my list, so, and I, I'm really keen to hear yours, is I've kind of been writing down, what am I going to do in the new year that I'm really going to track and see how it affects me? And I recently interviewed Neil Tenye, who's, who founded Wild Kingdom, and this is a mushroom company. Um, and he's just sent me a whole load, in fact, their, their range of mushrooms. And wow. so I'm going to experiment with them individually. So like, like physically really test lion's mane and see how that those tinctures affect my mental cognition. Because obviously like, I don't, I can't remember if you said you had it as well, but I know I have one copy of the APOE for the Alzheimer's gene. So mm -hmm. I'm re you've, you've got it as well. So I'm really interested in the research behind um, the studies that they're doing. I think at the moment it's just on, on mice, but, between lion's mane and protecting against things like Alzheimer's, but also the fact that it enhances things like BDNF and it can really enhance REM sleep, which I am, normally my sleep's pretty good, but I'd say if I lose out, I am variable. So sometimes my REM sleep drops, sometimes my deep sleep drops. So that's something that I really wanna play with them individually and actually track and, and see what's going on. I'm doing quite an interesting experiment at the moment where I'm comparing Aura against Whoop so oh, right okay that's quite yeah i recently got it so it's only been on it's literally only just calibrating i literally got it a few days ago but i was really i'd i'd had a lot of clients who refused they, they basically don't want to wear jewelry so they the next best thing and i don't like the fact that it is constantly assessing me do you know what i mean there's a light mm. on i don't like that mm. but i did i was really keen to see because it assesses things like strain alongside hrv I was really keen to sort of have a look at that data and what, as I'm measuring these things um, to actually see how it compares. So that, that's quite an interesting thing I'm doing at the moment. Awesome. When did you get that? Just a few days? I got that just a few days ago. Yeah, it came just before Christmas. So mm. um, it takes about four days to kind of calibrate your recovery baseline. Mm. Um, I what I've noticed at the moment is it isn't assessing, when it looks at strain, it's only really looking at cardiovascular strain. So if you go and do a weight training workout, then it isn't really recording that as strain. Does that make sense? So I could go and do a really heavy weight session, which I know is obviously stressing the body, but whoop doesn't seem to be picking that up. And I know that it looks more, whereas if I go for a run, for example, then it will assess my strain as that much higher. Mm. So it's definitely looking at heart rate, I think as a metric more than anything else. But it's quite interesting comparing some of the sleep data um, and the recovery. Okay, okay. Mm. I've been spending a, a, a little less time with the whole wearable thing. I mean, I do have an aura ring, but I haven't, I haven't actually charged it up for a long time. Um, and even with my Apple Watch, I will, I'll wear it sometimes. I'm trying to... I don't know, I'm just trying to keep things as natural as possible without really focusing too much on that. Because I found my head just constantly checking data every second. And I'm like, is this, is this what is mounting up some of my screen time? <laughs> 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 you know, always checking, always checking. Oh, how am I now? Um, 
you know, and I'm thinking, all right, how am I feeling about this? This is the other part of self inventory. And yes. I'm like, does it really matter? Kind of, but no, not really. I done okay without it. I, I kind of wanted to know that information, but it's more of a, a want than a need. So um, I guess, uh, yeah, um, I'm just trying to incorporate stuff which, is, which I feel is important for me without trying to track too much on how accurate is it? Mm. I guess that, that's, that's me because, um, you know, I'm very much into health and fitness. And I think for me, I might get a bit, a bit too involved without and making it kind of take over me if I'm not careful. So yeah, it's a bit like you can kind of become a bit sort of orthorexic. Can't you? you can become obsessed with healthy eating, obsessed with, tr with tracking. I think you're right. I think when I take breaks, that's always welcome as well. Um, I was on holiday in Croatia in August and it was quite interesting because I slipped by the pool. Um, <laughs> it's probably a really dumb thing to do to actually do a workout next to the pool um, because there's obviously a high risk of injury. And I did. <laughs> and I think I was doing, I think one of my kids did a huge dive bomb just as I was about to do a lunge, which flooded the area and I literally <laughs> went flying, um, but bashed my, like my eye. It was like all bleeding from the top of my eye. It was, and I had quite a bad, well, not bad because I didn't have to go to hospital, but a mild concussion. Wow. And um, that, my aura ring actually ran out while I was on holiday. And in a way, it would have been nice to see the metrics, but in, in another way, it was really relaxing actually not to look at the data. But the first night, everything was all, before it ran out, everything after that head injury was all over the place. Mm. It was kind of, I was having a lot more um, rapid eye movement sleep. Um, no, sorry, not rapid eye movement, a lot, lot more deep sleep. Like the deep sleep just went up exponentially, which I guess was the recovery from the injury. Wow. Um, and I had this, this monster headache for about three days. But my aura basically failed on me and I hadn't brought the charger. So <laughs> I have no data of <laughs> tracking a head injury with aura. But I remember thinking how relaxing it was actually to not be monitoring things and just have some time away and just intuitively think about how do I feel? I think, as you say, how do I feel is such an important thing. Mm. Um, I like to bring attention mindfully actually to kind of any situation. I don't know about you, but I find this, I think I read it from Brendan Bichard originally, you know, Brendan. who wrote Brendan Bichard, he wrote high performance habits and he talks about having alarms on your phone and almost as you go through a doorway, deciding like who you want to be. And I find it really useful. So you kind of, it makes you focus on whichever area you're working in a hundred percent. So for example, like, and, and you can use labels to make you achieve this. So for example, like when I'm with my clients or I'm on coaching calls or with my programs, then I will have, you know, sometimes I go through phases where I'll set it as a physical alarm on the phone. So it will be like, you just think, right, world's greatest coach. How can I be the best coach I can possibly be and show up for those people in the best way? And then, you know, once you finish work, it's so easy, isn't it, to transition, particularly with, with the lockdowns we've been having and everyone working from home, to be sort of half at work, half with the family. So I've then reinstated this practice where it's like, well, who am I now, right? Now I am world's greatest mother and wife that's and then you you just and it's not i'm nowhere near of course no but it just means that i can be mindfully in that moment with them and just think well and it kind of guides you because it's like well 
you don't you don't kind of lose it as easily you don't um you're not distracted with the kids which i think is a really common thing because it's like well how would the world's greatest mother show up right now what would she be doing do you know what i mean would she be like baking cookies or listening to their days of course she would she wouldn't be distracted and going i'll be with you in a minute i'll be with you in a minute on the phone you know that's interesting. What I think you see your workspace. Is there one particular part where you work in your house or do you tend to cruise around and work? In different so I do cruise around a bit because I get bored. I do have my home office, but where I am at the moment, but I do also, I will go and sometimes work at the kitchen table, like particularly if I'm reviewing, you know, quite a few bits um, for a client, like, you know, blood work and DNA and things like that. Then I might have everything out in front of me and I'll spread out. But I generally try to, I never ever take work into my bedroom ever right. because I just think that that for me is, you know, there's only two things, isn't there? Sleep and sex in the bedroom. I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise that kind of messes with your relaxation. I think. Yeah. I was, I was about to say that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, th- I don't know where I read it, but you know, if, if there is a workspace to just try and keep it there and you know, otherwise other areas can end up being, taken over by your work you know it just it, it it starts off just like you know just sitting there with your laptop not really thinking about it and you could be speaking to your kids just just working slightly and then yeah it's one of those where you're not fully engaged in either one properly and now this has become your work area it's not really your your area of relaxation so for me i, I just try to keep the laptop in one particular area and the moment i'm leaving although the purpose of the laptop is that you can move it around. It's like, I'm kind of conscious where it is. And I'm like, no, you're staying there. You're not moving around with me. It's kind of Ooh. interesting. I remember um, even there was, there was, I think it was an audio book talking about people who have these drug habits. And when they go into those alcohol anonymous things um, or, um, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the detox places it's a completely new environment from where they're used to taking the drugs but the problem is when they go back to their home where they normally go where they normally have it it's it's everything is all wired to uh the space where they would take it and it, it they end up just kind of relapsing and it's it's about them kind of rearranging their home and and kind of changing the way things are i can't remember the whole depth of it but mm. It's um, it's kind of interest interesting how you associate certain certain areas of the house with certain things. Yeah, and I think for people who I agree with that. I think people who you know maybe they live in a smaller property and this has just been kind of you know thrust on them that they're now working from home. As you say, if you can even just have like a small desk that is just that is the workspace so that you can separate it because you know there's so much out there at the moment, isn't there, in terms of the prospect of burnout for so many people at the moment because they're working harder than ever. They're, they don't have a commute anymore. So often their, their exercise is naturally limited mm-hmm. because they're not even walking around quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're working all of the time. And I think people's mental health is, is struggling as a result of that. And I think even just creating that space, as you say, um, I, was, I was having that conversation with uh, Ben Greenfield actually a week or so ago. We had a, like a mastermind call before Christmas and I, I was talking to him specifically on that topic, like how do you distinguish between the work time and the family time so that it doesn't encroach at all in this environment? And he will always keep it in his office. So if he was, 
if you had something to finish off, so I was saying like, what do you do about the loose ends? Because that's where you just, you want to be present with your children. You don't want to be tying up loose ends at the same time, which I think is the easiest thing you can end up doing. Mm. And he would then stop work, go and be with the family. And it might be like, right, I've just got another 20 minutes. I just need to disappear off, tie up those loose ends and then come back and just creating that physical space. And it actually makes, um, there's a book I think I'm going to go back and reread because it's a brilliant book. Have you read Deep Work by Carl... Um, Newport and he talks about how to enhance creativity and productivity it's a brilliant book and how much more focused you are by doing setting aside deep work by Cal Cal Newport I think it is from memory really really good book all right sweet noted (laughs) Uh, so that's uh yeah that's um that's a good one that I found helpful so Um, that 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 crosses what like two different types of work what is it like mental yeah so it helps you to understand like well how to apportion your day so when are you most creative when are you most productive and how can you really bring that productivity and focus and get into that deep work state because you accomplish so much more when you are there whereas as as soon as you're trying to do any kind of multitasking you're slowing down. It's like open tabs on your browser, isn't it? It's slowing down your computer. Mm. And that's happening as soon as you're thinking about. So it's, and, and how you can set aside specific times. Um, because I found this with email, I be, ended up becoming like, so I used to check email all the time. Then I was like, right, there's only specific times to check it. And then you can kind of clear the inbox. It's much more efficient. Uh, and I think people feel like because there's messages everywhere and you, you, you must be the same. Like I find I get messages in my DMS on social media. Then I get messages on WhatsApp. I get messages in Facebook groups that I run. And then I get messages on my membership site with people commenting and you can kind of almost become, and then emails become overwhelmed because there's so many sources of messages. So I now just set aside specific times where it's like, right, this is, and it generally will be later in the day because I don't like to use that most productive time that I have in the morning where I have most of my creative thoughts by doing what is basically task-based. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And notifications, like cutting those off as well. That's really important. Like if you get lots of emails, sometimes I get a ton of emails, but I get I get a lot more DMs than emails and I can't respond to them all at once. And I do have someone who's working on some of that as well because it can, yeah, it just eats up part of your day. Mm. One thing I wanted to ask you though is how do you deal with, all right, so there's times when I don't necessarily want to do stuff, but I do it anyway. And I managed to get through it. Physically, I can deal with it quite easily. And I remember when I was, working in a warehouse and everything was like a physical labor job. I was getting exhausted, but it was not until I worked in an office and then was getting mentally exhausted. I was like, damn, put me back in the warehouse. That was easy. Now, me going outside and jogging or cycling in the cold when I really do not want to do it is not a problem for me. I can do it. But the moment I need to get some work done, and my brain is like, I'm really not in a mood to do this. It's so tough. I don't know how to get around it, but there's so many times I push myself as much as I can to get some work done. Like, I don't know, I could be just working on a, a, a new campaign or a new project has come my way and I need to go through it. And sometimes I'm like, my brain just wants to do something exciting. Like, this is not fun. And it's a struggle. And it's 
it's less easier for me to do that than me going out and freaking jogging in the cold or something. Do you understand? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's that. So I find there's two things there. Cause that is hard. Um, if it's task based, then you can push yourself in the same way you can with a workout, right? It's almost accepting. I'm not going to enjoy it, but there is a reward of finishing at the end. Right. So, and, and I, but I find that the hardest thing, like, so, tax returns okay <laughs> that is so dull <laughs> and i've got i mentioned them because i have like vat stuff to do this week send to my accountant is that is so dull right it's so so boring that there's nothing creative for me and that is a case of like i think what you're talking about there when you go and do something that you don't like but is is a physical thing it's not requiring so much brain power is um this is another really really amazing book i think it's called turning pro by stephen pressfield this is an amazing book and it's such a quick read um so for anyone that is like not in your scenario that's listening who actually can't motivate themselves to go and do the run or go and do the the workout or anything that they have to do he talks about the difference between the day that you, your life changes the day you decide to turn pro so it's like, what would a pro do? They would go and do it anyway, right? They would never, an amateur basically says, I'll only do it when I feel like it. Yeah. Or I'm looking for the motivation because motivation comes from action. People think it's the other way around, that they need the motivation to take action and then they get the result. Whereas actually starting to set in movement, like going up that run, if you start going, you start jogging, chances are you're going to keep going with it and the motivation starts to come. So with a task-based thing, there is an element of pushing, but that's different, I find, and I find with clients when it's creative. Because if it's creative, I find that your brain needs to be in a certain space, and it can be extremely frustrating, particularly like you were saying there, when you've got a new project and you're trying to bring some kind of artistic angle to it, that you really want to create something amazing, but it's not you're not in a state of flow. And I think that is then starting to understand the need for breaks because you never ever can have unlimited creative brain power if you like. You've mm -hmm. probably only got maybe they were, I reckon a maximum of four hours, but probably two, one and a half to two really good hours in your day. And so if you've then already done things that have depleted that resource before you begin it, it's going to be very, very difficult. So you almost then need to think the other way and say, well, I'm going to go and take a break until I have got some degree of inspiration back. And it might be that then going for that cold jog is actually what's going to feed that creativity to come back and be fired up to do it. Mm. Um, but I think there's mental preparation because anything that's mentally involved is much more difficult, um, particularly when it involves something creative. And I think people will often lose their creativity through just continually pushing themselves. So yeah. they just keep pushing one project to the next, to the next and stacking them and then never having recovery. Whereas they'll go away for a week and then suddenly all this creative thoughts come to them and they feel so inspired and refreshed. And I think you absolutely have to recharge to, to continue to bring that creativity. Do you ever you find, um, so yeah, many times, um, definitely. It's like, um, when they say about, um, when you're reading a book, um, the things that you remember the most is lots of beginnings and endings. So if you take lots of breaks, you get a lot more beginnings and endings and you actually retain a lot more as well. Um, but what I was going to say was, do you find with some things that 
<laughs> you can never be inspired. Like you could never be motivated, never be inspired, but it's something that you need to do. And it might not necessarily be, I think tax returns is probably going to be the most boring thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to match that, isn't it? Yeah, no, yeah, that is, uh, that is kingpin. Um, but certain things like, you're just like, what's going on? What's going on? Let me do some push-ups. Let me go do a jog. Let me have a coffee. Where's the, where's the best nootropic stack? And your brain is like, nope. <laughs> Not doing it. Yeah. What things would that be like? I have, I have had that, but I find it's when I've done a period of intense work. Right. So that's what I found. Um, or I haven't had enough recovery. Does that make sense? So like I was, I had a really, really intense work block of period where I was creating this program, a 90 day program. And I did it with the first group live. And for so September through December, it's like a longevity, longevity program, how to live younger. And it was really intense. And I was giving it all on my content and it was week after week. And by then, by December, I knew that I needed a rest. And so I found that I'm having to, because I naturally want to do more and more all the time. I'm sort of having to force myself to take a break over this Christmas and New Year period. So today is actually the only day that I'm doing, you know, podcast and, and calls and things. And then I'm off again until the 4th of January, because I know that I need that complete reboot. And I, that's where I do think that the tracking comes in because I'm not very good at admitting to myself that I need to rest. Whereas one thing that Aura does do is show me my HRV. And when that's tanking, for me, that will tank as quickly from overwork as it will from overexercise. I don't know if you found that. Um, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't. In fact, I think that overexercise is probably, you can, you can probably um, go a little bit overboard on that, depending mm. on your body type. But um, yeah, if, if mentally you are depleted for different reasons, it could show quite a lot, I believe. Um, I was going to say something. Um, I've spent a lot of time uh, talking with many uh, professionals about personal development and high performance, um, not just academically, but like uh, psychological and emotional development. Does that make sense? Yeah, like kind of like um, psychological and emotional resilience almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like what would you say is, I don't know, like what professionals really work on to be at their optimal? Like how, how can a person be the most resilient in those particular areas? Like, like psychological and emotional, not just in this day and age, but just as a human being, like to, to be a high performer, you know, with all the different things hitting you from different angles. Um, yeah, I, f I find that many professionals have lots of, um, as we was talking earlier, lots of um, like daily rituals and stuff like that to, to, to keep them going through. But what would you say has worked for you over the years to be, yeah, very resilient. To go, yeah, I guess, so for me, and I'd be interested to see like what you found. For me, I think that the biggest battle for me initially was um, deciding to be better and the be or the best that I can be 
rather than perfect. And I think I was always a perfectionist and that was really, really difficult. And then as a lawyer, when I was practicing as a corporate lawyer, that was drilled in even harder because if you haven't got something perfectly right, then you could actually be sued. So it's really important that you get that agreement right. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of develop this perfectionism approach. And also when we, when I was at Freshfields, this big law firm in London, we always had this expression of grace under fire. So you always had to maintain your composure, no matter how much, no matter how much the shit was hitting the fan or clients kicking off anything, it was always grace under fire. And that was kind of their ethos. And in many respects, that made me like very strong. It helped me manage my emotions publicly, but it does put quite an intense pressure on you privately because you've always got to be hitting that super, super high performance. And I think that can then drive burnout because we were not sleeping particularly Um, And then when I had my children and I suffered very badly with postnatal depression, which then became kind of chronic depression and I was on bipolar medications and things, I then had to really like look back and think, well, how how can I get my, you know, I, I depleted myself so much. I was physically ill as well. It was like, how can I get my brain and body back? And I always think you have to train your mind as much as you train your body. Um, And so it was, but this was the first time that I'd really looked into it. So I'd always been into physical fitness, into nutrition, but now it was kind of like, well, how am I going to get my mind back? And how am I going to get it to do what I want it to do consistently at a high level when I'm struggling so much that even, you know, getting out of bed and doing the school run has become an achievement. Like how did I go from, you know, running global mergers and acquisitions to finding it hard to get out of bed? And the first things that I did, because I know we were talking earlier about things like CBT, I did initially go down that road and I had a lot of psychotherapy and a lot of training. And one thing that has been so helpful for me is to maintain that high performance. I think that you have to be in control of your emotions. And I learned to understand, you know, when you could just be like, you're fine, everything's going well. And then all of a sudden you notice a shift. And you're not quite sure why, but there is now a shift. You feel like unsure of something or it could be, but it's kind of like a feeling that something's off. Do you ever get that? And you're having to then understand, well, like everything was going really well. Normally that is down to a thought or a thing that happened, but you didn't really register it properly. So I learned to go back and as part of the CBT and think, what was that? What was the trigger that has now resulted in the way I'm feeling right now? So I started to become more and more like cognizant of what my thoughts were and what they mean and what they call ants or automatic negative thoughts that would come in, which everyone has and how much time I was spending on them and then understanding. And it it took physical work initially of having a sheet of paper that I would go through with the therapist of like, what was that automatic negative thought? Do I know this to be true? Do I know it to be absolutely true beyond all doubt? And how did it make me feel? And then beginning to understand that my emotions were as a result of those thoughts. And then more recently, I've taken this onto a more spiritual level. So I found that going inwards was one of the biggest things that helped me get over um, depression. So meditation has been a big thing. Gratitude practice, which I know we talked about when we Um, did a podcast together before and then now I've kind of gone into well actually like what is and this might be a bit woo-woo for people so if they're not into this at all then they can obviously just you know dismiss it if it isn't something that resonates with them 
but it's kind of like this concept of, and for some people it will be religion, it will be God, for other people it will just be the universe, but this concept of source energy. And when you are feeling good, generally you are in alignment with source. So, and that is really in alignment with your inner self and who you really are. And so like learning that self-love instead of self-criticism is so important, I think. And actually saying it's okay. Like if I mess this up, it's, it's okay. Um, and you actually, that when we were talking about creativity earlier, that actually unlocks way greater levels of creativity because there's a, there's a degree of freedom that comes. Mm. And um, I've been kind of reading a lot of Esther Hicks work and watching some of her YouTube videos. And it's interesting because she talks about how your emotions are there to guide you. As soon as you feel a negative emotion, this is like telling you that you're now no longer in, in touch with your source, with your source energy. You're off, something's off, and that's what it's telling you. And so it's kind of like now you've become Joe Dispenza. You've done any of his meditations. I know I'm jumping around a bit. Here. No, no, no. I've, okay. I've, I've got uh, his audio book and I've seen a few of his videos. He, he's, I think I'm just, it's somewhere where I want to be, but I'm not there yet. Not quite there yet. So he talks about it in a slightly different form. So he's, everything's vibration, which he talks about as well. So we are vibration, right? So even the sound when I'm talking, that is your ear picking up the vibration. And he talks about the fact that when you try to control events and make things happen too much yourself, you're basically becoming more matter than wave. You're more particle than wave. And that's what Esther Hicks talks about in the same way of you're kind of away from source energy now. And you, that's when you can develop real anxiety over things. And you, and it's particularly relevant, I think, for people at the moment, because there's so many things going on, right? Everybody's afraid of getting this virus. Everyone, or lots of people are. Everyone is like, so for some people, they're worried about their financial situation. So much has changed. We've got extra pressures. We don't know if we're going to be homeschooling next week. So the government's not quite clear on schools yet. And so much is going on. And so you can then start to see control and anxiety comes in. But when you actually sit in silence and you do something like you were talking earlier, breath work or meditation, gratitude or just breath work's a really easy entry point. Then you come back to source energy. You realize I'm actually okay exactly as I am. Um, and that starts to guide you and it, you, you start to realize that your emotions are actually an indicator of every single time that you're now out of alignment, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. She then goes way and beyond into the law of attraction. But it's a really useful guide because I found that when I then align in that way, that does really increase my performance in every aspect, but also that inner sense of calm. And that in turn feeds a lot of creativity because you're almost more free for those thoughts to come in and actually then provide value back to other people, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds really, really interesting. I'll definitely need to check out uh, books by Esther Esther Hicks, you say? Yeah, there's a really good book she wrote called Ask and It Is Given, but her YouTube videos, there's someone, and I don't know who the name of it is, but there's somebody who's created, who's basically taken her presentations and they've created these YouTube videos of um, like a cartoon. And so it's like Esther Hicks interviewing somebody and as she calls them, she puts them in the hot seat and she does like a little kind of 10 minute almost therapy session on them. They're amazing videos. It's like so well done and so easy for people to watch and then start to understand and, and, and begin to understand that the way that you speak to yourself makes such a dramatic impact on not just your mood, 
but on your own performance. And people people criticize themselves all of the time, like so readily, yeah. without even thinking about it. And yet you'd never, ever in a million years say the things that you say to yourself to a close friend. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Mm. That is really interesting. Because uh, people do that all the time. Um, what's your thoughts on like... Uh, Doing, uh, going, doing ayahuasca and going away on those retreats and stuff like that. I haven't, I haven't done it personally. And I think that I was speaking, do you know Alex Manos? Nope. No, he's got a show. He's done um, a retreat in a medical based center uh, in Scandinavia. Alex very, Manos. very interesting. I need to remember the name of it. And we recorded a podcast together all about his experience. And he wanted to be somewhere medically based when he did it. Um, I'm really interested in, in kind of the microdosing of these things. It's not something that I've done yet. I think that I'm sort of trying to be quite gentle with myself because I've had, because I'd had such strong medication over the years, I kind of want to access that now in a kind of naked mind state and see where I get to with it. That's not to say that I wouldn't rule, you know, not ruling it out at all. Have you done any yourself? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Oh, it's weird. Like as you, as you was mentioning about this whole medical thing, and you mentioned also that you have or had um, bipolar. Is that something you still have? But it's yeah. So I didn't have I didn't have bipolar because that is a lifelong condition. I was on bipolar medication right. because I'd kind of got to the point where I'd had depressive episodes for so long it was diagnosed as chronic depressive disorder which people can then apparently tip into bipolar but the classic kind of antidepressants that people use um, were not sufficient to basically treat what I had so that was when I was sort of under the care of a priory hospital to a psychiatrist there and he was prescribing it and they were very very strong they completely knocked me out and it was like morning and night medication mm. um, so I, but I, I'm interested in this concept of psychedelics and how they can actually help people. Because it sounds like from the research that's coming out that microdosing with psychedelics can actually be a really, really effective form for treating things like depression. But it's a very new and emerging area. And um, I, I, I guess, I think with things like ayahuasca, I think people need to be around trained professionals because I think a lot of people are doing it in, in places where it's maybe not as safe. And I think you can have quite profound um, experiences. And certainly with some of these psycho psychedelics, you can have what's known as a psychotic break. And I think, and Alex talked all about this on, right. on the podcast. And I think that's why he was so keen to do it in a medic with medical professionals, because mm. that is very difficult to come back from. And I think it's, people are doing it so readily. Do you know what I mean? Do you feel that you'd need to be in a in a healthy uh, psychological state before trying something like that, or do you just need to be with a professional to, and then you'll be all right? I think there's a whole like um, routine that that they go through in terms of warming you up to mm -hmm. it, in terms of the music, the breath work, understanding what your emotions are, and slowly like increasing doses. I think that's the thing. Whereas I think a lot of people, they can have this profound experience and it shows something for them that they may not be fully ready for. And that's when it can cause that kind of break. Right. So right. I think that's why I think you need to kind of graduate up very slowly, um, depending on what's in your past, right? Mm -hmm. So for some people, 
And, and you know, I don't know if you listened, but Tim Ferriss released a podcast about six months ago, maybe slightly less, about how when he did plant medicine, it revealed to him some form of childhood interference by a babysitter that he was previously not fully aware of and he'd kind of buried in his subconscious I think so it's really I think people do need to be careful I think you need to be around the right people if you're going to do it I think it depends on the individual themselves as well really Mm. like it might dig in the past some really nasty stuff but if you're a strong person you might be all right with it. And I've had some things revealed to me at a later stage and I'm like, wow, really? But if it had been told to me earlier, it, it probably would have been a struggle for me. Um, no, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm so, some sort of Superman or whatever, but um, I, think it, I think it just depends on how much you've dealt with as well, possibly in the past to accept certain things, uh, which you didn't know about reve- revealed to you if that yeah, makes sense. I agree because you it's kind of like where are you in terms of your own spiritual development before you do it um, but I think because you are under the influence of plant medicine it's opening up aspects of your brain that you previously hadn't tapped into yeah. you can be shown experiences that are lasting for quite a few hours that you're not able to move away from if that makes sense wow right right so you're then living that in a sort of virtual reality. Um, I had a friend who'd done some sort of medicine and um, it was like she had gone into the past where she was six years old. And I think she kind of saw something when she was six and she was, she w- it was almost like she was in the body of a six-year-old. And I found that quite interesting. And she was learning certain experiences from that moment, which is affecting her now. And it made me question, I didn't actually ask her this, but it made me question whether it will be difficult to deal with at that particular time if you were to be six. Your mind state is you are a six-year-old. You're not an adult, like seeing yourself in the third party kind of thing of, oh, this was me, oh, right, I understand, but you're actually... Oh, you're going, almost going back in time in that experience and now you're six years old again? Yeah, yeah. That's quite hard. That would be... You're not bringing, yeah, that is quite hard. Um, Would that be similar with these other plant medicines? Is... is... I think that, um, I mean, well, I don't know if it takes you back so that you're in, um, because having not done it myself, whether it takes you back to actually being in that childhood state. I think that, um, I do want to read, I think it's Michael Pollan's book. Um, he's written an amazing book on psychedelics because it's something I definitely want to explore more. But I think one of the other things that can happen that I know when I spoke to Alex was hard is, and people underestimate, was the integration back into society in that new enlightened state. So part of it is that we're talking there about like source energy and things. Now suddenly you've got more in touch with that and what is the real you, right? Because we're we're basically um, vibrational beings having a human experience. So now you've kind of got in touch with that energy. When you come back, he found it quite difficult in terms of integration of like, 
everybody's worried about things that they don't need to be worried about. Does that make sense? Right, and right. life and the things that we handle. And so I think, again, that's something that needs help because you feel so enlightened in this state. And a lot of the people around you are not that enlightened. Mm. Um, so I think that can be hard as well. It's, it's a really interesting area because I think having someone who has, has sort of struggled with their own mind so much I'm very, very interested in exploring it. But firstly, I guess from more of an investigative kind of research base initially before trying anything on myself, I think I've reached a point where I've got stability in my own mind that I didn't have for, you know, 10 or 12 years that I would be nervous of doing anything at this point that was going to throw that off. Because I still, it's still a kind of thing that I daily have to work on. And if I don't work on it, for a few weeks, I will notice the difference. And then I feel like I've got less control over my mind. Mm. Um, and I think that's the thing. Marissa Peer talks about it as being like the most people go through life as having <clears throat> this untrained stallion that they're trying to kind of contain and train and they don't actually have the skills or understand how to do it. <laughs> um, so I think it's probably a good analogy. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I was no. going to, oh yeah, no, go on. You're no, saying, you, and I'll ask you. No, go ahead, because this is a slightly off topic. Go on. It's just about the bipolar thing, because I've known a few people who have bipolar, and I've seen, I had a client who was bipolar, and she used to turn up, well, it was an old client when I was doing personal training at um, Reebok Sports Club, and one day she would turn up, and she was such a joy to train. She was such a lovely person. And then there were other days where she was a complete nightmare. And it got to the point I had to take her aside and I was like, look, I'm sorry, this ain't gonna work. I cannot train you anymore. This is insane. Like- It was like two people almost. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think one time I, I double booked her. Um, I double booked uh, you know, two clients at the same slot and I was going to tell the other client that, um, I'm sorry, I've double booked, but she took it upon herself that I was going to tell her to go, but whatever the case may be, maybe I was going to tell her, you know, it could have been that way around where I said, I'm sorry, I can't train you today, but it's just the way she took it and the way she stormed out. Um, that was obviously an accumulation of other times when she was freaking out. And I just thought, oh, this is too much. I'm not getting paid enough for this, man. And then I said, look, this, I'm really sorry. I will refund you. I, I can't train you anymore. And then she uh, took me aside uh, later that afternoon. And she said, I really need to talk to you. And she took me aside and she said, I'm really sorry. I've got bipolar. And I just have these moments where I like emotionally, I feel like I can't control myself. And I have the, I feel like I'm in a real dark, dark hole that I can't get out of. It feels I can't remember the words she used exactly, but it just sounded like a really dark place. And I'm like, wow, like you are too completely, like Jekyll and Hyde. It just seems so bizarre to me, but you know, you know, I accepted it and I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I didn't know this and it will help me to understand a bit more. And I just wanted to understand like, because you say you have it, is it like, um, where you feel like you can't really can't control yourself i mean now you've got the tools and methods but let's say before when you first discovered you had bipolar was were you very um 
very animated about it or is it something you... yeah so i so i wasn't diagnosed with bipolar i was given bipolar medication i was diagnosed with chronic depressive disorder so it right. had gone beyond postnatal because obviously like you can't have postnatal depression for you know six years plus <laughs> it's kind of gone well beyond that <laughs> but the um, medication i was given was a bipolar medication and what they did find was that I was having, so that experience, so obviously I'm not, anyone listening, I'm not a qualified psychotherapist or anything, I can't give advice, but I was certainly having um, experiences similar to what you were describing. And that's why they were, cons the, the concern was that, and, and I'll come on to how that felt in just a second, but the concern was that if I, if I stopped the medication, would I now, because the medication basically, it slightly numbs you, right? It's stabilizing that experience. So you're no longer having quite the same highs and lows. It means that you can't experience things as quite as happily as you used to, but you're also not having those lows. There was concern that I would trip into, and apparently the psychiatrist had seen this before, that when people came off that medication, they did then trip into fully bipolar. Now, I did have what we would call like bipolar is obviously bipolar experiences so one is as you say she's really really happy and completely in control and then other times she just feels like this hole i had those experiences and they were extraordinarily difficult to handle like my heart goes out to anybody that has bipolar because what would happen for me and i can only speak for me is that there would be times where i would feel so on top of the world like literally so in complete command of absolutely everything i was like a superhero so i would be then able to do absolutely everything so i would wake up in the morning really bright and early so whereas previously i couldn't get out of bed i'd be up at five i'd be doing workouts i'd be you know like cooking the children muffins or pancakes for breakfast then i'd be taking them to school. and i was on top of the world like superwoman and working and all these things and then i would be like i'd say to my husband this was such a predictable cycle that we learned to know what it was. Like, I feel on top of the world. I think I'm back. I think I've recovered. I learned over time that that wasn't even me, right? I am not that crazy. I am quite an energetic person, but this was another level. And the hardest part for me is the contrast, or it was for me, it was the contrast because you would go so high and what she's describing there and then so low. And there was no in between. And I would physically feel that something would shift and I didn't know why and I had no control over it despite mm -hmm. the medication. And so I would go from on top of the world to this slipping feeling, but then I would slip so fast and I would be in this hole. And it doesn't matter, like you could have the most brilliantly sunny day. There is no lift at all because for you, the darkness within is just so black that you now you don't want to do anything. And that, you know, that, that was debilitating because that's when I would have my son spend an hour and a half yanking my arm going, mommy, mommy, please, we're going to be late for school. Mommy, can we get out of bed? Mommy. And not even able to physically lift myself. It was like I'd been run over by a train. It's so physical. And so I don't even know how to, my muscles, I don't even know how to get myself out of bed. Um, and knowing then that you're, you've gone from being this amazing parent to going to the complete other extreme is so hard on your family members. And you, I never wanted to do it. I don't think, you know, when, I think the biggest criticism I would have, sometimes people from the outside can feel that someone's giving in. I don't think you're giving in. This is like a vacuum. It's 
it sucks you in. It's not voluntary. You know, you don't, like, no one wants to go there in that deep, dark hole. And so I have, I'm obviously like now I don't have those profound switching experiences. So I definitely don't have bipolar because I think you have a lifelong experience of that. But I think that um, I do have to work hard on my mindset on a daily basis to protect it. I, I protect it. A bit like, you know, with fitness, you know that if you, you can get to a degree of muscle mass and body composition, but it doesn't stay if you aren't constantly doing what you need to do, right? You can maintain, but then if it starts to slip a little bit, you know, you've got to up the ante and come back, but there's always like some parameters, aren't there, that you kind of feel that within, you know, where your thresholds are until you slip too much. And I think that's the same with the mind. And for me, and I think a lot of people maybe don't, they don't think about their mind until there's something that's gone wrong and they've really got to now treat it. And that's, well, that's how it happened for me. But now I know that I have to train my mind as I train my body every single day. Awesome. Thanks for so. sharing. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't know if it helps people, no. but um, so I was going to ask you, because moving on from the mind to the body, because this is relevant, I think, for so many people, particularly going into the new year. Mm. Um, in terms of body composition, you obviously, like, you are in incredible shape. I was looking at some of your recent Insta photos and you are in phenomenal shape. What would you say are the biggest drivers? And I realize it's a little bit different from men and women, but also from working with clients as well. If people who, they might not have a lot of time to spend training, but to really keep that, and they may not be at, they're gonna be the pinnacle at the peak, but to keep a really good body composition and physique and have that health, because muscle is an organ of longevity. What do you find with most of your clients they need to be doing um, in terms of on a sort of weekly basis, in terms of that split between strength-based training, cardio, things like intermittent fasting and sauna? What, what would you like, if someone's just starting out on that, they're not, they're not trying to, they haven't got dramatic weight loss, but they're in an okay shape, but they now actually really want to protect their longevity and take it to the next level. What would you advise to them in terms of the sort of weekly routines and practices they need to have in place? I guess it just depends what their starting point is really like where they're at in life. And, um, cause everybody starts with a, a different body shape. And I guess, mm. you know, you'd have to look and be like, all right, what's going on here? What type of life do they live? Where, where is their, their mindset at? And it's kind of like trying to figure out, it's kind of like, yeah. What, what are we working with here? What is the canvas? And then, um, yeah, just tweak it so that they're running in a most um, optimal state. Like mentally, I think that's where it starts off. So, you know, high, um, high nutritious food so that their head is in the right space. And even with, with work, I like to know what's going on with work. I don't necessarily need to know the details, but I want to know how they're dealing with work. Is it really stressful or is it okay? And if it is stressful, then let's talk about it. Let's try and de-stress. And I think the moment they start to de-stress, that's when their body starts to function a lot better. They tend to get better sleep. Um, with better sleep, their body, you know, their, their hormones are a lot more balanced. And then we can start looking into 
uh, diet and the training. So it's, it's almost like, yeah, the diet and the training is probably going to come afterwards, but I really want to know what's going on in there. What's going on in their life? You know, if they've got kids, how are the kids, you know, um, really engaging with them as, as human beings and not just like, okay, go out and work. You know, I tried that at the beginning. I realized that not everybody is regimented the way I am, where I'll be like that. And then I thought, what are the fundamentals that, that keeps me there? And I realized that my mind is in the right place. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, starting off with the mind, always checking in, making sure the mind is in the right place. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, resistance. There's not even that much science to it, really. Always making sure that if we're going to do resistance training, that it's always something which is going to surprise the body. Um, I just try and keep it exciting for them, really. Just um, so it's not a typical just progressive overload. Although there's going to be progressive overload, I try to switch it up and make it exciting all the time because that way, uh, you know, they're always motivated. They're always... Mm um it's something new it's a new plan it's like oh something exciting every week um and that's what i do for myself so it's never boring so you're always changing because i know different trainers see things differently don't they so some will say well you've got to continue with the same thing which can get extremely boring where you're just repeating it and doing that um progressive overload i'm the same as you and when i do training plans for clients i like to keep it variable and make it fun because i think if it isn't fun you're probably not going to con- continue with it anyway right it's very different if you decide that you've got a goal like a bodybuilding goal and you're willing to take the boredom and the pain to get those aesthetics Mm -hmm. but if you're doing it because you really want to protect your longevity and just look good in clothes and swimwear I think that the fun part is so important isn't it yeah yeah always make it fun listen to music listen to podcasts while you train um yeah um do you do a lot of cardio um or not so like do you how much do you in terms of a portion between strength training and cardio at the moment i'm probably doing more cardio than strength training um well the gyms are closed right now but i'll train in my garden um or i'll train at home um but i do cardio every day so i'll cycle between 12 to 20 kilometers uh, every day. Do you, do you, do you, you mentioned jogging. Do you do jogging as well? Or is it I do just jogging. Cycling? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's mainly cycling, but I'll switch it. I'll switch it around. If I'm going to jog, then I'll probably jog about nine, nine kilometers. I wouldn't, I wouldn't jog for 20 kilometers. I think I'll be dead. i think my knees will be shot as well yeah can't train legs notice the impact don't you i've been doing more recently and i you can notice i I just find as well like my heart rate is so much higher if i'm out going for a jog compared to a cycle like it's so different yeah yeah you you you, wow wow and I, i guess maybe it's to do with like body weight as well you know i'm over 100 kilos and just like bang 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 (laughs) <laughs> I, I can't yeah you'd have good joints to that <laughs> yeah no no yeah i find it hard enough with my like 53 kilos <laughs> to lug around <laughs> we're, we're a tiny bit older now you know so you just gotta i think like less impact is good in all fairness 
Uh, so cycling, I, I do enjoy that. You, you got a bike in your house, right? You got a... Um... I've got a what bike. I, do you know what I like about cycling is, in terms of stationary cycling, is it's a little bit like going in the sauna. It gives me a really good sweat. Whereas if you go out for a run in the cold, for example, I'll get warm depending on what I'm wearing, but I won't get that hot. Whereas I find that if you actually want that kind of endorphin release alongside that real sweat, then for me, because I don't sweat easily, um, then cycling is 100% the way to do it. And you don't even need to go that hard. Like you can do a list style workout, I find, really low intensity for 45 minutes mm. and, you know, watch something interesting and get a really, really good sweat on. I don't know if you find that. I, I really, that's not one thing I enjoy about the Watt bike. Um, I, I probably, at this time of year, I'm not really sweating that much when I'm out cycling because- No, it, not when you're outdoor riding. A couple of degrees. Um, but I normally, when I come back, and I stop, sometimes I'll sweat then because <laughs> the change of temperature. But um, I don't know in terms of like ca uh, calculating the calories because I know that if I'm wearing my Apple Watch, I don't know if it knows exactly. It's calculating according to my heartbeat. It's a calculating according to, um, you know, my, my weight. Um, but how does it know how much fat I'm burning at that particular time. Because mm. if I'm cycling in the cold, as far as I'm concerned, my body is using a lot more energy. A lot, yeah, a lot You know what I'm saying? Energy. So, okay, I might not be sweating as much, but I'm sure I'm burning a lot of calories. You know, so and are I'll you doing that first thing in the morning? Because I've seen some, like, sometimes you'll be out, what, you get up at five and do it in the dark. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So I, I generally wake up at four or 10 minutes past four, and then I'll, have a hydrogen water and espresso and then I'm out there and I'll cycle for about an hour or an hour and a half depending. Is it hilly or is it more of a flat ride? Mostly flat, mostly it's flat. flat. There's, there's, there's a couple of um, slight gradients here and there but it's it's yeah mainly flat. There's, yeah. So you do that every morning basically? as soon yeah. as you wake up so it's kind of straight out of bed after coffee and then will you then come back like when when's your kind of sauna and kind of hot and cold therapy is that daily or sometimes i'll do that straight away i'll come back take my clothes off then in the sauna straight away so cold bam straight away hot yeah oh, really good after contrast that, after that sometimes i might just do red light therapy immediately afterwards so it, it really depends because obviously I've got, got my daughter, so I have to think about what I'm going to be doing, um, what time she wakes up and spending some time with her. Okay. Um, but yeah, sometimes I'll just go straight, straight in the sauna or red light. Um, and then I'll do resistance training a little bit later, like in the afternoon after I've, I've eaten because I normally do all of this in a fasted state. So would that be like in the afternoon after lunch that you do your resistance work? That's right, yeah. And is that daily or? Not daily, probably two or three times a week. Okay. Yeah, I used to train really frequently, like five, six times, but now I'm like, mm, I don't really want to. <laughs> I don't want to. And I think it was a case of just seeing how my body responds. And I'm like, do you know what? It's fine. Like I'm not losing crazy amount of muscle. And I think it might be down to doing some sauna. It might be having more time to recover, focusing a bit more on having quality sleep as well. 
And I'm like, yeah. So how, what does that look like for you then in terms of if you're getting up at 10 past four, what time do you go to bed? Normally about nine, sometimes half eight. About like, I normally feel tired around half seven. I'm like, "Mm, okay, it's, it's kicking in. And then I'll fall asleep normally around half eight, nine o'clock. So your, how's your daughter? She's six. Uh, she'll sleep she'll she'll sleep she'll sleep before me anyway so that's she will yeah see so so the difficulty i've got and this is this is definitely causing havoc for me is i've got a what my eldest is in year nine so he's just started his gcse curriculum this year so he's 13 and a half sometimes his homework will take him till gone 10 o'clock at night and i don't feel like i can go to bed before he's gone to bed so I find myself staying up and that is being an early morning person. That's really playing havoc with my, that's, that's the biggest challenge for me at the moment. So a lot of people find it hard when they've got young children don't they? and they're waking up early, particularly if you're a bit of a night owl. Whereas for me, that, that stage was fine because it was like, that was just in alignment with what I did. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now with teenagers and the shift and my, my next son's 12, he's starting to, you know, particularly in school holidays, doesn't really want to go to bed. We'll sleep in till 11 o'clock in the morning. It's, uh, it's, things are really shifting in the house. And I find that quite difficult because I'm very much like you up early doing things. And also the morning is the treasured time. Like when we were talking there earlier about, you know, managing your mindset, your creativity or your productivity, the morning routine for me, ever since I read that book, The Miracle Morning, about five years ago, that just yeah. changed, you know, the way I want to set up my day. So I find that, uh, yeah, a bit of a challenge. It's kind of trying to get that bedtime back. Mm. It's almost like you need to really hack your sleep to make sure that if it's going to be slightly less, it needs to be high quality. Quality. Yeah, exactly. Which is what I've been focusing on so much more. And I'm definitely getting much more consistent with hitting, like even within a shorter window, the right amount of deep sleep, the right amount of REM sleep. Mm. I'm keen to see what uh, the lion's mane does with that, just to experiment a little bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, so you, so you, you would intermittently fast with you, would you, and compress your eating window down to what sort of four or six hours a day? Yeah, that's right. Um, I think I, I've done a podcast. Who did I do a podcast with? Um, I think it. Oh shoot with uh, Dr. James uh, De Nicolantonio. And I'm not too sure whether, I know he does intermittent fasting. And I remember he mentioned that he does, he just eats in certain periods and he's not really too fussed about the window as such, but kind of keeps it as two meals. And I thought, you know what? I think I might just try that then and see how that works. And that sometimes works all right. So I'll just, I'll eat maybe mid morning and then again, like kind of in the afternoon, which might stretch past the four hour window, but I'm just still keeping it as a couple of meals. Couple of meals. Yeah. Um, and what have you found with like female clients? Cause I, I've been kind of diving into this a bit more and I know there isn't really very much research is there for women because it's so difficult to study women. Yeah. But some of the studies that are coming out, is for premenopausal women, it can actually, you know, affect cortisol and affects levels of their sex hormones quite a bit, particularly if they're leaner. So I found like for me, because I'm already quite low body fat percentage, I find that I am naturally quite hungry 
um, and that my, I guess, I noticed that my stress levels, just sort of not anxiety, I guess, just tension levels go up if I do longer fasts and my performance goes down, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So even for me, like doing 16, 17 hour fasts, I find that the sweet spot for me um, as a woman is probably about 14 hours. Mm. 14. Mm. 14 hours fasting. So like having a last meal around half six, seven, and then not eating until about 10. So yes, yeah, kind of 15 hours fast. That's the sweet spot. When I go over that and I'm exercising, I find that just the, the performance drops off a little bit for me. Mm -hmm. I think it really just depends on the, the person, the individual. If you're really lean, um, you probably need to either up the calories a bit or maybe increase the window a bit. So that's, that's what yes. I... Yeah, that's a very good point you make there because you do need to up the calories. And I think that's the challenge for me because I've got like a hiatus hernia, so I can't eat a very large meal. So that's probably why I would notice it because actually I would find it very difficult to make up enough calories if I was having one or two meals a day. How um, about smoothies? Yeah, smoothies work. And also, I find the bioptimizers, digestive enzymes, really help as well. I was fascinating when Wade was explaining about how we just don't produce enough of them, and um, they really help me as well. But yeah, I find I find it difficult though to eat because of that to eat any large volume, even like big volumes of things like smoothies. So for me, oh. it just I've found it just works out. Fourteen, fifteen hours is about right. Mm, mm, okay, I think. Yeah, I find that smoothies kind of helps me a lot. That might just be my second meal. So mm. I'll just throw a lot of stuff in there. You know, loads of different nuts and uh, fruits and protein, collagen and herbs and just, just chuck everything in there. And I'm like, okay, that covers it. And um, have like one solid meal, one smoothie. And mm, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, I feel all right. Um, because like for me to try and get all the minerals and the, the micronutrients and vitamins, it's, it's kind of difficult if you've only got a couple of meals, in all fairness. So um, I try and mix and match it on different days to diversify my microbiome. Um, and I'm still working on it. And will you take like amino acids, if you're in that fasted state, will you take anything like, I know you like Keon products, don't you? Will you take anything like Keon aminos or while you're fasting? Not when I'm fasting, um, but I have done, I have done, but generally speaking, no, no. If I feel like, it normally happens if my sleep hasn't been too good. If I want to fast and my sleep wasn't good for whatever reason, um, I might just have some aminos instead to, to help me to, to, to curb the cravings a bit um, until my meal time. But generally, I'll just fast. And I won't have anything. And I'll have the amino acids um, before training or while I'm training. Okay. Yeah. So, you're, so in terms of you then maintaining that body composition, how do you kind of reach enough protein levels? through meals i through guess the meals. it's weird like 
I don't, I don't calculate it. I don't sit there and add it up, but I think it must be through the quality of sleep that I have and through uh, probably the, the sauna that I use and, mm. and the intermittent fast. I know that, you know, they all contribute to, uh, the, um, growth hormone. Yeah, they do. They do. And also sauna, like some of the recent studies isn't it, showing is helping maintain, like even enhance hypertrophy. So it's enhancing muscle gain and fasting in and of itself is muscle preserving. So I think that whole combination together, and as you say, they all, the sleep, the fasting and the sauna all include increased levels of um, growth mm -hmm. hormone. That together is a really powerful combination. Yeah. I, I do want to understand a bit more what's going on there. Like when I look in the mirror, I'm like, how? It's insane. When I think how much less, because I used to eat quite a lot. I used to eat from around because i've always woken up early I'd, I'd, I'd eat from man from about five in the morning until maybe nine in the evening and i've done that for years and i guess i was quite big but still not as lean um but now i'm managing to hold all this muscle and i'm i'm not really training as much i'm not eating as much it's it's so fascinating to me it's so mm. fascinating so were you bigger then were you like overall bigger did you have more like higher body fat as well as like higher muscle or how is your body composition different when you were in because that's a pretty fed state isn't it that's basically eating until you go to bed yeah. no break and then basically eating which is really common in people that gain muscle like there's a big misconception isn't there over i need to go and have like cottage cheese or some casein so it's like slow breakdown overnight and just all the traditional things that you actually don't need to do no <laughs> i know people still believe it and you know what i'm not even going to argue with them i'm like all right you know do what you feel is right when i when i hear that i'm like because i know i used to be that person you know making sure it's like oh casein i don't want to go catabolic during the night and oh my god God, I've done that for so many years. And this walking around with those plastic tubs and, and, and throwing it in the microwave, like, what are you thinking, bro? You know, <laughs> microwaving the plastic tub. Oh my God. Um, and like a lot of GMO chicken as well. I, I, yeah, I've done that for many years. But yeah, I, I would have a lot more muscle mass, but yeah, my, 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 my body fat composition, uh, my body composition was always relatively low anyway mm. um and do you but, supplement do you take supplements what type of supplements yeah what do you take um i have some whey protein but i use um motion nutrition stuff oh yeah nutrition yeah i know motion nutrition <clears throat> so um i'll use they've got whey protein pea protein um so i'll chuck that in my smoothie um and yeah the digestive enzymes colostrum uh the keon flex for the joints um i'll try and do as much as i can for the joints because at one stage i was feeling pain in my elbows um and my shoulder but then what i what i realized was that anytime i had anything which was high glycemic that would be the first place where i'd feel it i mm, i don't know why i don't know why but i'd feel it straight away in the elbows especially I'm like, wow, like, why is my elbows hurting? And it took me years to figure that one out. Isn't that interesting? It's like causing inflammation in the body, basically. Yeah. Which it does, to be fair. 
Mm, mm. Mm. But n- not anywhere else noticeable. Maybe the brain slightly, but definitely in the joints. Um, but yeah, uh, what else? Um, vitamin D3 and vitamin K2 drops. I normally have that. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't, there's loads which I take, to be Do honest. Do you take omega-3? Sometimes, not okay. always. I do have some. Um, I can't remember what the uh, DHA and EPA uh, measurement was on that. I think they're about, I don't know, about 800 or something like that on the yeah. EPA or something. That's the one supplement that I can't be without. I noticed the biggest transformational difference when I don't take it. Oh, really? Like my, yeah, in my skin and my hair is the two biggest things that it really, really affects. So I just find that when I take omega-3, I take it quite high dose. So I take Nordic Naturals and there's about a thousand milligrams, I guess, in it. So I'm probably taking like three to 4,000 a day. And that just gives me kind of vibrant, healthy skin. I feel like my cognition's better um, and my hair is less dry. It just helps me retain that kind of fluid within the cells. Whereas when I don't take it, it's a bit like not practicing meditation within about four or five days. I'll notice a big difference. Wow. What about your fish intake? Do you eat much fish? I do eat some fish. So I eat, I do, we do eat salmon. Like we've got a really, really great fishmonger who kind of visits this farm shop we go to once a week. And he's got beautiful fish and even things like his tuna is mercury tested. Like it's, it's amazing. And the the salmon sushi grade, it's like amazing fish. Um, But I don't eat tons of fish. I think that, um, I don't know, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I know some people are real pescatarians and i was reading how victoria beckham's got dangerously high mercury levels at the moment Um, and i think there's always a danger like if you because i think if you do eat a lot of like larger fish that can be an issue Mm. um but we are with two kind of teen or adolescent boys growing up there's a big focus on steak in our house at the moment. They're just so, <laughs> oh my God, grass fed beef and lamb. And they're like, I, I swear, I think my, my 12 year old is pretty much a carnivore. That is, right. He never eats, like he doesn't like really carbs. Occasionally he might have a bit of pasta, but he is such a massive meat eater. And, uh, and it, oh, it's funny, isn't it? Because he's a big swimmer as well. And he's just so ripped, like so naturally. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we probably do eat a bit too much red meat, I'd say. But it's all kind of quality grass fed. Yeah. That's um, cool, man. That's yeah. cool. So. Um, yeah. I um, don't know if, is there anything else to cover? <laughs> um, I think I asked you most of... Um, most of what I was, I guess, I guess the, uh, you asked, you talked to me about before you go, you did ask me about how you kind of get yourself to do things that you don't want to do. And I guess what have you found has been the like, because you're so consistent with what you do. And I think this would really help people. What have you found enables you to bring that consistency? Cause I think that's something people definitely, I, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions at all, but I think people do have a renewed vigor in January, don't they? And I think we almost go through, I don't know if you've noticed it, but even my dogs seem to be doing it where we've got those dark nights, we've lost a lot of the light. People are almost recovering over Christmas, but then even though we're not in the spring yet, there is a renewed vigor in January and it's like, how do you make that commitment and then keep it going? I'm always just fascinated by 
like habits and making sure that they stick? Um, having things mapped out throughout the year, I guess. Mm. Um, so there's, there's the daily things which I'll always have to do. And then I'm, I have to check to see where I'm at. Um, I don't know. I feel like everything has to tie into each other. So if I'm working on one thing, it ties into another, ties into another. And, you know, my fitness is part of my business and the business is part of my fitness. So if I'm going to talk about fitness, then I need to look fit. I need to, I need to, so that, you know, that, that kind of, um, oh, what do you call it? My head is a little bit tired at the moment. You know, when you, um, when it's what in alignment it's kind of become a part of. When you have to, mm, God, um, it's like basically, for instance, like my, my, my audience or my social media is like accountability. That's it. Having accountability is a very good thing as mm. well, you know, to show people it can be done. And it always keeps me on my toes, even if I might not be bothered, you know, mm. And I, I don't allow that feeling of can't be bothered to not do it either. It's like, I, I just know it needs to be done. I, I always think to myself, no one, no one could do it for me. I remember when I was younger and uh, mm -hmm. my uncle used to say to me, oh, Roger, go to the toilet for me. And I was like, how am I supposed to do that? It always stuck <laughs> in my head. It always stuck in my head. And I just thought... That's the ultimate in laziness, isn't it? Can yeah, you go yeah. to the toilet for me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so like, funny. You know, and I, it kind of makes me think that people want to treat themselves that way. They want others to do things for them. And that's one thing which you can't get someone else. You can't delegate that. Mm. Other jobs you can, but physically you have to do it yourself. So it, it's just something that the moment I think, oh, I really don't want to do it. And I think no one else can do it for me. I have to do it. And uh, yeah, tying, in, tying everything else up with it, just knowing that, you know, my, my health is going to improve. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's, it's, it's so second nature for me. I don't even think about it anymore. Mm. I don't think about it. I just get up, I do it. I just have everything lined out. And, you know, I occasionally check my, my weight and how I'm looking in the mirror. I'll check with certain clothes as well. If so, like, so I'll wear um, 34 jeans. And if it starts to feel very tight, then I know I need to up the cardio, for instance. Mm. You know, I'll see how certain clothes fit me and I'll check maybe my cheekbones, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> check your cheekbones. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's hilarious. Some pictures I'm looking, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I think when the lockdown started last time, like the first lockdown, I did notice I started to put on a bit of weight and I went up to 106.9 kilos. I still had abs. And that wasn't the point. It was the, the way the clothes fit me. That was when I noticed things weren't how they should be. And mm -hmm. when I looked at certain pictures, if I turned my head to the side, cheeks was filled out a bit more. I was like, right, that doesn't look like how I want to look. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, if I feel work needs to be done, then I'll just get on it. Mm -hmm. I think... 
That that is that is ultimately, isn't it? It's what Stephen Pressfield talks about. It's the difference between an amateur and a pro, pro right? Is is the work's there, it needs to be done. Let's just get it done. And I think that's the thing. But I think there's also a case of, as you say, accountability is really, really important. And that's where working with a coach can be so, so profound. Um, and also just making that commitment to show up as the best version of you. I think people, sometimes people are almost afraid of becoming, like their success is inhibited by the fact that they're afraid of that success. They're almost afraid of becoming that ultimate version. Um, really interesting when you look at people who sort of yo-yo diet, they get into incredible shape. And then they almost can't wait to get out of it. And it becomes that familiarity feeds the cycle because actually we always go to what's familiar instead of something new that is a change. And then it's hard to stick with where it's like, what if you just really committed in 2021 to show up in every sense as the very best version of you, not for anyone else, but because it's the best gift that you could give yourself, right? The best, the gift of great health and just great confidence and feeling how you could. And it doesn't have to be aesthetics, does it? It's just about committing to whatever that goal is and just saying, do you know what, I'm just gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna do it even when I don't feel like it because the reward might not come. I think Charles Duhigg talks about this. The, re the reward may not come from the effort itself because maybe you're never gonna feel that great doing that workout. You know, some people don't enjoy it. Maybe you're never gonna feel great going for that run. But then how you feel afterwards is the reward. And when that kicks in, I think that drives the behavior change. And if you can stick with it beyond that kind of first few weeks, then the reward mechanism is set up in the brain and you'll continue it. But it's just getting over that hard hurdle first, isn't it? It is that. It is the hurdle, just getting over it. And I think when you do it as well, you feel proud about yourself. And I think the moment you keep failing to show up, you... I don't know, you, you start to, you doubt yourself. If you, if, you, if you say you're gonna do it and you don't, you start losing faith in yourself before anyone else. Mm. You start losing faith, so you, know, you, you start to think, mm, my, wor my words, they're weak, they don't mean anything. And if you lose faith in yourself, then you're not, you're not gonna have faith in anything else, it doesn't matter. So yeah, always showing up for yourself. I think that's really important. Mm. that's so important as well when people hit the snooze alarm because they forget that they are failing on their commitment in the first thing as soon as they open their eyes because the moment you set an alarm you made a commitment so mm. if you snooze it you just failed on your commitment at the beginning of the day how can you expect your day to go really really well and so it's almost like don't even set it that early if you're not going to be able to get up just don't, yeah. because then you're not failing. You're not beating up on yourself. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that commitment, because when you honor your own commitments, your self-esteem and, and own personal integrity just grows. That's the thing. Yes, exactly. That is it. You, you, feel, you feel proud about yourself. You're like, yeah. yeah. You know, I told myself I was going to do it. And so you, you, can, you can speak with a lot more conviction when you're speaking to others. Like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. You know, mm. I don't fail on myself. And that snooze button thing is, um, you know, there's times when I want to hit the snooze button, but I might just lay in bed for about 30 seconds. And then I'm like, okay, let's get up. Um, and I remember, I remember like listening to a book called The Five Second Rule. And sometimes that pops in my head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant book yeah. by Mel Robbins. 
That's correct, yeah. Yeah. And it always comes to me every once in a while, not just waking up in the morning, but sometimes when there's decisions to maybe f- make a phone call to a company or send an email to an individual. Um, and I'm like, oh, should I do it? Oh, I don't even know what to say. And then, you know, there's loads of things, like five second rule. Okay, let's get out of here. I don't even know what I'm going to say. I'm just going to do it. And, um, you know, uh, jump first and build your wings on the way down. Like I'll start comprising all these things all together just to get some movement, some momentum. Mm. And then um, it's, it's that action that makes you feel better about yourself. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's, it's just about doing it. And then you can sort of build up around it afterwards. And I think when you was talking about being a perfectionist, I think a lot of people fail to even start because they want everything to be perfect. And I think a lot of people are conditioned from school that things should be perfect or maybe parents or other people around them like, oh, this needs to be perfect. Oh, I need to do this perfect. And it's just like having a child. You can't find the perfect time. You just go, just, let's, just, just have the child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just do it. There's never going to be a perfect time, is there? Let's face it. Exactly. That's true. It's true. And once you gain that momentum, as you say, once something's in motion, it's much harder to stop it. So let's get the right things in motion because when you get momentum behind the right things then the projects just take on themselves. Um, so yeah, but put, put momentum behind the right things. The right things. <laughs> Not the sugary foods in the, in the fridge talking to you. <laughs> oh, it's been amazing to speak to you today, Roger. Has been, it has been. It's a pleasure. Yes. Um, so as we end the year, hopefully 2021 will, I don't know, bring something better for most people. Yes. <laughs> One thing I think we can say, I think, is that it has brought a sense of unity, right? That's what I take from this year is we, sometimes people go through tough times and other people are going through amazing times in their lives. And I think that the threat of either of, of becoming ill or someone you know becoming ill has been so close to so many people but I think the real thing that I'm positively taking from 21 into 2020, from 2020, sorry, into 2021, is this idea that maybe we're stronger together than ever before because we are united and people across the world have had to face the same thing. And so maybe in some way, Mother Nature has united us and may we emerge from this stronger than ever before. Amen. Amen. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Absolute yes. pleasure. Angela. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much, Roger, for coming on again. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.